Welcome to HivriaCast, the podcast where I, Alad Nehrai, speak with some fascinating and incredible creative Jews. Hello and welcome to another HivriaCast episode where I don't remember the number of it. Um, I'm so excited to have Emilia, oh my gosh, I should have asked you beforehand how to pronounce your last name. Cataldo. Cataldo. Okay. For some reason, I always think Catalado, but that doesn't make any yeah. sense. Yeah. Is I that graduated what... from many schools as Catalado. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you. How Glad are to you? be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Doing really good. Cool. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? I mean, it's interesting. I feel like you're one of those people in like the Jewish Brooklyn art scene that like everyone knows about, I feel like. Um, but I feel like uh, it would be it would be cool to kind of get your uh, side of things. I yeah. Uh, thanks. Well, I don't I don't feel that way, but thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I just I hear your name a lot. I yeah, guess. we have a lot of the same friends. Right. Yes. Right. It's like a little world. Like our yeah. World, yeah. Um, so I do music. Um, I've been performing as Nehadar since um, 2003, roughly, um, and recording albums obsessively. And um, yeah, so that's pretty much what I think of myself as a musician, mm-hmm. um, songwriter. That's cool. It's so funny. I was just like joking with on this podcast about how hard it is to book musicians. And all of a sudden I've had like a bunch of musicians, yeah. which is exciting. I think that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, I've been <laughs> wanting them. I, I love having musicians on. Um, so what kind of, uh, what brought you to music? Uh, I was born with music. Uh, my parents are both musicians and my, my parents married each other because my mom wanted to make music with my dad, and that was, like, a big thing. Really? Wow. Yeah, I mean, he was the more... She was, like, a classically trained pianist, and he was a jazz saxophone player. And so he would be the band leader, and she would just play along, and he thought it was cool that she could sight read. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> that's such a, that's such a mu- romantic, from a, like, a musician romantic story. It's not... A, he liked like, that she could... Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I'm actually the only one in my family that does music um, with, you know, a public, like a public face of music. Um, oh, many of my siblings are also very musical, but I'm the only one that is really uh, carrying on the sort of family tradition. And I've used my dad in recordings and videos and oh. and actually my family's in videos, too. But... <laughs> Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I always wanted my band to be very collaborative when I first started. I was Nehadar and Friends. That was mm. my MySpace tag. It was Nehadar and Friends. Oh my gosh, that's old school. <laughs> wow. Oh yeah. MySpace was the best. <laughs> we, should we delve into that? <laughs> when MySpace was cool, I was cool. <laughs> Quite some time ago. <laughs> so you're saying like that that you're not cool anymore? Is that Well that was my peak, I think. I mean that's when I was you know, I'm peak you know, cool? I mean as a musician, like you know, making stuff in like the pop genre, mm. you know, being 30, like in my thirties is, it's like geriatric. <laughs> really? No That's so crazy. To anybody that resembles that <laughs> remark. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Do you really feel like that? Like that you feel? Well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, how I feel about music now is that since my cohort is now in these 
powerful positions in uh, executive positions and stuff and, and is now affecting pop mass media mm. and is, you know, writing shows and their inspirations are, you know, bringing things out to show other people, to show the kids and the kids like it. So um, I'm finding that I'm liking what kids are doing again. Because they, I think that they're because of the you know twenty thirty year cycle, they're inspired by what I was inspired by, mm. and I was there. <laughs> so by kids, you mean like people... like eighteen year eighteen year old nineteen year old musicians, like uh-huh. like there's this band Snail Mail that I found, and I and I watch. She's I think she's like nineteen, mm-hmm. Lindsay Jordan, and she and she just she's like Kurt Cobain to me. Mm. Like I just look at her and I'm like, you're the you're the spirit of Kurt Cobain, like not. Wow identical but like the same Shoresh or you know she's just really I don't know I see that a lot I see that with um uh, jazz musicians I don't know there's just an energy that is very familiar and I'm just I love that I can enjoy new Mm. music again so how does that affect you as a musician like do you feel like you're still part of part of it I feel like I've been trying I've been doing kind of the same thing for the whole time and Mm. i'm hope i mean i'm always hoping that suddenly someone will be like hey that thing you're doing is cool now (laughs) (laughs) you're like waiting for the cycle yeah (laughs) interesting (laughs) like oh you like that well i've got like you know nine albums (laughs) right (laughs) nice wow that's interesting um yeah, that's so funny because we talk a lot on this podcast like when i have people like saul sudanon i'm sure you know him right Saul's yeah, yeah Saul's one of my yeah. friends yeah right so he's like almost like a historian. I've known Saul forever right yeah, yeah okay I totally believe that. I was in a band with his brother uh, really yeah that's so interesting in like St. Louis no in in New York in New York yeah and Saul has footage of us playing at CBGB's that he has not released where is it Saul all right Saul where's Sudan? the tapes we're this is why we did this podcast. This is why I did this podcast. <laughs> That's why you came on? You wanted to send a message to Saul? Wow. No. no. <laughs> um, wow, that's so that's so cool. So, yeah, so it's interesting because Saul, whenever I talk to Saul about this stuff and I talk to other people like Eden, who's was on, well, when people are listening, this will be on the week before, he, uh, you know, it's like, it's almost like there, there's this very beautiful history that we kind of feel like we're part of, I feel, you know, in this Brooklyn scene and the, yeah. and the, I mean, the Jewish art scene, I guess, in general, but I feel like in particular in Brooklyn, there's something yeah. cooking there always. Yeah. Well, yeah, for me, it wasn't ever so much about Brooklyn. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. For me, it was much more, I mean, I went to Stern for a decade, mm-hmm. so this is like my old haunts. <laughs> you say where we are now? Yeah, where we are now. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, so it's like New York, I guess, is better maybe than Brooklyn. Midtown, East. At, no, but I used to do a lot of shows here mm-hmm. uh, at Desmond's, and I had to play a haunt called Rocky Sullivan's. And see, they moved to Red Hook, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Brooklyn, I know Brooklyn's really cool, but uh, we don't currently live there, but it would be nice. If anyone has a two-bedroom... <laughs> I mean, they have them, but it's like, <laughs> no, I it'll mean, be uh, a billion dollars. No, I mean, if listening and they want to, <laughs> let me know. Cool. All right. Wow, we're getting a lot accomplished here. <laughs> I hope that, like, all this stuff comes through for you. Um, <laughs> You're right. Um, let's see. What else? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because we're, I feel like we've been mutual admirers from a distance, so it's interesting to kind of, like, 
I would love to hear a little bit about you because I know that you're Balchuva, mm-hmm. but I feel like there's a whole lot to that story. That's what I always yeah. get. The oh, hint it of. is. Yeah, it is a good story. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good story. Uh, I I think I want to give you the bridged version though. Sure. Um. So, I left home at like set almost eighteen. Uh-huh. Uh, I went to the Rainbow family gathering. Uh huh. When was this? Like Dahlia. <laughs> um, yeah, that's so interesting. This was in 99. Wow. And, um, and I had, uh, I, I grew up atheist, but... Um, Your parents were atheists? My parents were agnostic mm. atheists. My mom came from the perspective of, she was Jewish, and her family was like, yeah, we had a really hard time in Europe. Uh, the Jewish thing, not so cool. We want to be Americans. <laughs> <laughs> they were just gung-ho about dr- shedding Jewishness. Like, wow, that's interesting. Like a, like an old cast or something. And, mm-hmm. and my dad, my dad um, grew up Catholic and um, actually had some, I think he had some abuse in a Catholic school, and that made him pretty atheist, although... Really, when you ask him, he's agnostic hmm. um, and also angry. And um, and so when I went to Rainbow, I uh, started to do a lot of acid. Um, actually, I think I'd been doing acid before, but the acid in the forest was way better. Um, <laughs> and I started to, like, learn all this stuff about, um, like, like, love and the world uh, energy. I started to see God. And You're saying this was while you were on acid or it was yeah. okay got it <laughs> yeah in the forest like totally right. free you know living out of and you're saying like you felt like you could see god I was when you were seeing something i mean to say god is like very um it's like a sort of belligerent thing to say but i was seeing energy moving mm-hmm. and seeing how it never went anywhere and seeing how it was ultimately there was it felt like there was ultimately I mean this is all in my head so I'm just but you know it was ultimately oh, positive like it was ultimately like people had choices but but I could almost see like when some I felt like if if the right choice was made the giving choice I could see this stuff then there was like almost like in a video game like like when you get a coin, like, ping, ping, like you could just see the, the positive, uh, the, it's like you could see a smile, like the energy, the energy mm. liked when people made good choices for each other and for themselves. So, so that was that. Not, wow. not connected to any religion. And then um, I proceeded to have a really bad trip at one point. <laughs> um, and then I felt really dark and went out in search of, uh, this so was also at the Rainbow Gallery. Yeah, yeah. Both of the both of the trips. This were... is all well. It's many trips. Right, but I'm saying both yeah, of the trips all... you're describing yeah. were in the. So this is yeah. So I was at the Pennsylvania um, National Gathering in 1999, and I and I had this really bad trip, and I felt like possessed or something, and just very toxic. And I and I thought to myself, you know, there's so many spiritual groups here you can get counseling from, you know, go out and talk to people and like talk, talk to, uh, spiritual people. And and so I, um, was thinking, should I go talk to the Christians? Like, no, like I've, I've, I've talked to a lot of Christians. I used to live in a place called Zion, Illinois. Like (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, they just think it's cool that I'm Jewish. That was my experience in talking to Christians about religion. Wow, you're Jewish. That's so funny. I've had that experience too. Yeah. (laughs) And then I thought, Hare Krishnas, because those are very prominent. And then I remembered I'd seen a sign that said, Jerusalem beckons a banner (coughs) at the entrance of this gathering. And so I said, there's probably Jews here. Mm. And I went to, this is the miracle. This, this part is a miracle. I went to the information map and I looked and I found Jerusalem Beckins and then I followed the trail, which is like things hung on trees and I found it. That's a miracle. Like in this state that I was in, <laughs> completely washed out and bugging. Like <laughs> that I didn't like I didn't even struggle. I just found it. Wow. And I and, and basically from there, I, I mean, everything changed. I changed my name. I, I had been Flutter By was my rainbow name. Emily was my name in Zion. And... I introduced myself as Amelia, which is my birth name. Just, I just had to like drop it all. And and my 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 friend Zev Padway, who who used to um, he used to do all the fundraising and all the hard work for the Jerusalem Beckins ki- uh, kosher kitchen at the National Gathering, which was one of the incarnations of the Jewish camp at the Rainbow Gathering. He, uh, I walked up to him and I said, <laughs> I I kid you not. I said. Hi, I'm Jewish. Do I belong here? <laughs> and he said, I ca- we came all the way from Jerusalem just to meet you. <laughs> it was like, and scene, you know? Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and they proceeded to like, just like take care, you know, like, you know, take care of me. But I didn't like, you know, adopt totally religious practice. It, this it, was like an Orthodox group? or This, this was, was, it was yeah. a group. Zev, um, Zev was... Zev's very connected to um, Rabbi Tversky in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. um, but now he lives in Svat, and he doesn't do it anymore. But there was also a guy, um, Ravasi Spiegel, who's Chabad, and then there were a lot of like young Breslov Balchuvas and <laughs> a lot sense. of uh, Moish Geller, who's a Karlbach guy, and so those, yeah, heavy Karlbach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so essentially, I mean... There's a little more to the story, but I ended up, le- not at that moment, but maybe like a week or so later, leaving the gathering with Moish Geller. Um, and then and the plan was they were going to fly me to Israel with an open-ended ticket. So I took it. And on the way, I connected with a Jewish mo- uh, modern Orthodox family, and they adopted me. Um, and then And so then I had both this open-ended ticket to Israel, but also this Jewish family that was like, well, we, we also kind of want to raise you. <laughs> like, you know, I was like... Wait, how did, how did that happen? Well, well, because Moish Geller um, was the person who I traveled from the Pennsylvania to New York with, uh-huh. and um, he needed a place to put me for Shabbat. And because his friend who, um, who he had wanted us to go to was having a boys' Shabbaton, like post-rainbow boys' Shabbaton, so... So they were like, what do we do with her? And um, his sister is has this family, and um, they live in Kew Garden Hills. Sorry for talking about you guys. Hope you don't mind. <laughs> um, is there a message you want to share with them also? Yeah. Oh, um, Mazel Tov for the bris. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Not bris. Uh, bar Mitzvah. Oh, this feels like we're making awkward. a bunch of phone calls, like, <laughs> like, but publicly. Yeah. <laughs> right. So they were, so they were like, yeah, um, they just wanted to raise me because my parents were really, um, like really not into raising kids, but so oh, I, wow. it was like, I was wild in a sense. It was, and I also, it was like pr- pretty burnt out on, 
on drugs. Um, but no, they saw so potential. They like... they, their family has a tradition of taking people in at, you know, either because they want to be more religious mm. or because they just need it. Like, they just need the support. Like, they, they, their family has a... Now I think I'm embarrassing them. Yeah. <laughs> but, wow. yeah, for multiple generations, their family's done that. So it was just like... they. The kids just naturally embraced me. They weren't kids; they were in their twenties. So it's so interesting, just because I, that was my question: was like, is it was it like they wanted to spiritually adopt you? But it sounds like they almost literally wanted to kind of take you in. Yeah, no, they they're more like the practical, like you have to go to college. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, for the listener, really just rolled her eyes. That was great. Yeah, did I mention I went to Stern for a decade? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Did you graduate? Uh, yeah, I okay. did. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's good. <laughs> um, okay, so interesting. So they want to take you, and then you went to, but then you went to Israel. So then I went to Israel. I went mm-hmm. to Midrashat Bat Ayin, which was a sister school of Yeshivat Bat Ayin, mm-hmm. and only existed for like four months. Um, basically. Oh, so that's not the not other seminary? Not Beirut Bat Ayin. Uh-huh. Yeah. This was just, um, you've been to Bat Ayin. Yeah, we just we did a every uh, documentary so, series. Yeah, I know. I I saw yeah. that. It was cool. Um, I don't know if he's still living in the same place, but I live like down the stairs from of Daniel's house in a house just across from the mikvah. Wow. And so we. I I know like exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Really cool. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, we had this big picture win- window that looked out on the mikvah. Oh God. Yeah, it was trippy, um, but basically. Uh, yeah, basically that school folded when all of the female students married the yeshiva students. And within four months... <laughs> Are you serious? Within four months... Oh, my God. The school turned into a kolel. And there was, like, nowhere to house me because I, you know, because they were a kolel now. <laughs> that is so nutty. Oh, my God. So I went to Neve. And that's when, like, that's when, like, the... I started to get put through the, the grinder. Um, but it was, they were, I mean, they definitely helped me. Yeah. The so what was going on with your music and all of this? Um, I, I didn't, I didn't start outwardly writing much until, um, like 2001. Yeah. I didn't start writing until, um, mostly as a result, like after my mom died, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, that? well, my freshman year at Stern, uh-huh. my mom got sick, and she was living in New York, and um, and that was the same year as nine eleven. It was oh my god, wow! It was a, it was not a good year, wow. <laughs> for for everyone. Yeah. Um, wow. But so so, I just started. You were in New York. I uh, was in New York. Yeah, I was in Stern. So wow! So you experienced nine eleven. Well, thirty fourth Street. Wow. And wow, and you had this with your mother. Wow, that's really intense. Yeah, it was probably three months after nine eleven, so she might have already been sick. Um, yeah, that's crazy. That she, but she didn't die right away. She lived for like nine months, but when she became sick, was you know, everything changed because I was her primary caregiver. So yeah. after she died, I started writing like to save my life, <laughs> wow. which I had written one song when I was like sixteen to save my life, um, but. Um, but I hadn't really like returned to it, I think in any serious way. So I just started writing and then singing the songs to my friends. I used to live with Hani Trogman. I'm just like name dropping here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
and I used, a lot of good people out there. And then my friend Jake Marmer eventually used to um, run a thing called Mima Makim. It was a poetry journal at Yeshiva University. Mm. And he had me, he said, you know, he knew I was writing and he was like, do you want to open up for Pharaoh's daughter at, at our event Ooh, at Bowery Asia. Poetry Club? Yeah. And I loved Pharaoh's daughter. And I was like, I was like, I don't know if I sing in front of men. <laughs> oh, wow. So I had to, I had to decide, like, do I, I don't know, do I, do I not? I don't know. I had to decide because I, you know, I knew all the, the halacha part of it. But that doesn't matter when you, you know, will be culturally affected by the stigma of being a female performer. Do you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. So... I chose to do it, and I chose to do it as Nehadar, and uh, the rest is, well, yeah, that that started it. So, so interesting. So you kind of started off your music career around the same time that you were starting to like live a Jewish life in America, I guess. Um. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'd been religious for two or two or three. Or around three years. I've probably been religious for at least three years. So, yeah. It's interesting. I just because um, I guess when when I think of you as a musician, I tend to think of you not and and in, in a really good way as um, kind of willing to push barriers, willing to like kind of uh, be more out of the box and that sort of thing. You mean um, from a Jewish religious perspective? Yes, from a Jewish religion. Right. So that's something that um, I've I've never quite fit because mm-hmm. um, because you know I I was an Orthodox well behaving Orthodox person that was singing it was singing in front of men and I was also keeping Shabbat so I I kind of didn't fit anywhere um, as a musician or as a I, I didn't fit into the into the scene so well. I mean, mm-hmm. even though I started with Mima Makim and um, so in a Jewish context, but I, I went to y, to YU and I was affected by the culture of because something crazy happened where I ended up in Israel the same year as people that were my age. So they had grown up in the yeshiva system, and I knew and and so, so cult, socially, culturally, I was like with FFBs mm-hmm. and and like. Like really, I think really interesting FFBs like like they go to YU and they're really ambitious, creative. You know, I've made made friends with filmmakers and you know, lots of my first bands were all YU people. Mm-hmm. Um, but some, but I, my first album when my first album came out, I had asked a friend to do an, some artwork and she never did. Not her fault, but um, should so we I, drop her name? Just no, to... that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but I ended up having to scramble because like my CD release party was booked and the, and the albums, you know, everything was set, but I didn't have the artwork and I had to get it off to get printed because back then you made CDs and made money from them. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and so I my friend who 
who actually was from that family, he, he worked at a record label and he was helping me get the CDs printed. And he just looked on my MySpace and was like, look at that picture. I, let's use that. And it was a picture of me in a bathing suit in my friend's apartment with like sand on the floor. Um, cause he'd had a party that was like beach themed and he had like put plastic down and put sand on it. And I missed the party, but I came over the next day and nice. posed with all the bottles <laughs> nice. in a bathing suit. I just staged it. And so, I mean, yes, I was pushing an envelope by doing that photo shoot. And so I, w- I was doing that, but I didn't intend for it to be my album cover like that, that to me, what like maybe really set me off as like, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to cause trouble. I called the album pick your battles and I was dealing with some, uh, some, I, I used to sing at a place called, uh, an event called Shul of Rock, which was also called Hussids Meets Hipsters. I think I heard of that. Yeah. yeah so that was from Brooklyn. Yeah. I am connected to Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so Hussids Meets Hipster was a uh, Seth Bronstein's event and, um, and it would be, some bands would be booked and then it would be open mic till like four in the morning. And that was really where I got my stage legs. Mm. And because um, I wouldn't, I didn't play an instrument. I would go there and I would hang out and I would watch everybody. And then I would just grab musicians that were around and be like, play music and I will sing my song. And I would just have them play. And then I would morph my song to what they were doing. So mm. it was like improv, but it was also written. And, um, and that was great, but there was some religious struggle within that scene where there was some, somebody had like cast himself as like the rabbi of the event and, and wouldn't let women sing while he was there unless there were three of them. And I just had no time for that. So I would stay till four in the morning until he left and (laughs) then I would play, (laughs) Wow. which, yeah. So that was like what inspired your album title? Pick Your Battles. Pick your battles. I think that was that was like it was a kind of a message to myself of like I want my album to do well. Um, I I've never actually thought about this, but I want my album to do well, and I also want like to not. I don't know. I don't want to push people away, but this is the best image I have for my album right now. That's cool. And the the beach one you're saying? <laughs> yeah. It's because <a laughs> it's because it because it drew a line in the sand. Anyone sees that album, they're like, "You're not kosher." I've had my friend told me a, f- a feminist looked at my album and said, "She can't be feminist with that, you know, with that album cover." Like it was a, it was. You can't be feminist. Yeah, because her definition of feminism is. I guess sex negative or something. I don't know. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, it's can of. It's can that's of a whole words. other uh, discussion, right? <laughs> right. Uh, so that's interesting. So you like, it's interesting how you, I guess I feel like it seems to me like a lot of Bali Chuva artists tend to start off like trying really to fit in at the beginning. And with you, it almost seems like you were kind of from the beginning. I, I find that like interesting. It's kind well, of unique. I was just really lucky that I had, access to these kids oh interesting oh that's why you so you were saying like they kind of give you a perspective of like you don't yeah like they were they were jaded this family took me in Mm -hmm. and they they are a very rebellious family (laughs) and that same that adoptive yeah yeah wow yeah the son was working for a record label yeah they're they're in their own right they're they're artists and scientists and you know just not they're not like wow. They seem so cool. They are, <laughs> they are very cool. <laughs> and they take in people that want to be religious. That's so fascinating. Yeah. 
That's cool. It sounds like it was really healthy, like to be. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it saved my life. There's, I don't, yeah. Wow. Yeah, they gave me stability. And so, like, have you found that, it's, it sounds like, I mean, I, I think it's amazing that you were able to do that so quickly, like kind of own that identity. But have you, did you find that to be difficult? Um, I think, like, for me, because I experienced this concept of God so strongly disconnected from the Jewish mm. experience, social, cultural experience, um, I think I just had, like, a lot of confidence that, like, like I was choosing my tribe. I was choosing my own tribe. Mm. Like Rainbow's all about tribes and roots. So I was choosing my own tribe, a tribe that I come from. But also that, like I, like, yeah, that that I'm choosing them because they're they show me that they understand this energy magic. Mm. Um, but also that, like, I don't know, just a just a faith in my own in my own. Um, inner connection. I don't know. Mm. I just didn't, I didn't feel like I needed to look to the Jewish Orthodox establishment for also, I'm, you know, I'm like half Puerto Rican. So it's like, I couldn't really fit in. I don't know. Oh yeah. Did you feel like that? <laughs> kind of. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I used to feel really out of place. Like it's stern. I, I, I have a, a joke I've told too many times where <laughs> like my first, time in the calf this just some some girl coming up to me and saying hey what's your name and I say my name what's your last name <laughs> I get my last name where are you from I tell her where'd you go to high school mm-hmm. and she, I keep going until she's asking me what does your father do for a living and I was like what's your first name <laughs> like wow. people could not place me and they couldn't fit me into any box and so I just like that's like what's the point of trying I'm never gonna <laughs> That's so interesting. I just love how you're like, you you observe it, but you're not, and maybe, maybe I don't know, but like, it doesn't seem like it is what hit you too hard or something, which is cool. I mean, like what you were describing, I guess, with that separation of the two, like that you experienced Hashem, and then you were like, oh, these people get it, but they, but they get it, but, but I get it too. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. I feel like that also has really helped me. Like, I know, like I've had kind of my road was like some crazy experiences and stuff like that. And, and in a way, and that was like before I was religious. And then in a way that kind of helps, I agree, like kind of helps ground you because then you're like, there's a Shem and then there's people and, you know, like we're, and then in that way you can, it gives you a really strong ability to be independent, I think. Right. Well, like you have to be able to poke the culture and say, hey, there's some stuff in here that <laughs> needs to be dealt with, right. which is kind of your current... Your, your, Who, me? You're doing a lot of... Yeah, <laughs> that's, I, I, yeah, that's your thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is it really? Oh, God. In I some guess ways, it has become, I mean, yeah. it's like, I, I feel like you're... Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, you're like calling... You're calling things as you see them yeah. that need to be called. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't. I'm not as brave as you. <laughs> Because I do, just, you do that. I, I don't so. start stuff on Facebook because I can't right. deal with it. Right. I cannot like so. If I do stuff on Twitter, like 
nobody knows me there. Right. And that's that's how it started for me, Twitter. I was just like, I'm so angry and I can't put it all on Facebook or else people will think I'm a crazy person. So on Twitter, I'm just like going to go because yeah. everyone's crazy there. I yeah. Think. That's the advantage of that. Yeah. It's <laughs> wild. It's wild. So, but yeah, so it's interesting. I think like that we, yeah, we need to be able to see that and then speak about it. And I think, you know, what's interesting, like this discussion reminds me of James Baldwin's definition of an artist. Have you, have you ever yeah. heard about like so yeah it was really interesting because his whole thing is like an artist needs to be lonely. Um, oh my gosh, I hope I didn't say this in the last podcast. That's okay. <laughs> I don't think I did. Anyway, people deal with it, but um, it deserves to be said. It deserves to be said more than <laughs> once. It's pinned on my Twitter thing, so it's important. But basically, basically, yeah, basically, yeah, basically, yeah, that that person needs to be artist is lonely, but not in a um. Not in a necessarily emotion, like in a like depressive way, but lonely in the sense of like in a positive sense, like that they're separate from their their society, um, and that's what allows them to then look at the society and kind of say, "Here's here's what I think about what you know. Here's an outsider's perspective, even while they're also in the society. But like when they're creating or when they're meditating on their art, they're like they're kind of both in and out at the same time." Um, yeah. And so I kind of get that vibe from you, which is really cool. And object, like you try to be objective. Yeah, I guess it's like a yeah, objective I mean, subjectivity. You yeah, know? I feel like, yeah, like as an artist, you, you, I mean, it kind of makes sense also you try to be objective about yourself and you laugh at yourself and everything's mm-hmm. like, everything can be deconstructed and. Right. You're even, <laughs> even lonely with, about yourself kind of in a sense. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great. I mean, personally, when I when I think of it that way, because it sounds depressing, but I think yeah. it's like no, I I I think it's true. Right. I mean that that experience that you described uh, and how that grounded you. I feel like kind of. Def- I mean, in a way, it's it's maybe if we one way of talking about it, in it as opposed to Baldwin's description, which is I believe he was atheist. Like, I think the Jew, maybe a Jewish perspective would be like there's it's kind of. Like there's alone with Hashem or there's like in connection with Hashem and then there's a connection with our community. Yeah. And part of an artist's job as a, as a religious person is to, you know, connect to what Hashem is. Yeah. We think Hashem is right. Us. So I had a really intense experience once that like really pushed me along mm. in, cause yeah, I was very like, I did get brainwashed and I did <laughs> find that I believed things like, about Palestinians or, or just felt things mm. like that I had absorbed that I didn't like choose or mm. I didn't truly own. Cause if I could, so I, I had many experiences where I, where I came to separate from the, the programming, especially at Neve. I mean, not to say anything offensive about Neve, um, because obviously a lot of people enjoy their experiences and their time there. And, you know, they were there for me when I needed it. On the other hand, I did have to, um, I mean, I did have to sort of unplug some, some circuits. I don't know. No, I remember that. I remember that being a critique, even when I was in Jerusalem, like learning that that was. So I had a group of friends that, um, that was really fun. And after I think, yeah. And I, we were, it was me and a bunch of other people. We, we named ourselves. We were that kind of group of friends. We spent a lot of Shabbats together and holidays house parties 
And um, that's where I met my husband eventually. Oh, wow. And, and um, we, at one point, we went to my friend's dad's shul in Maine for Shavuot, I think. It was Shavuot or, or, or Sukkot. I'm not sure. Sukkot. I always get those confused, too. It was Sukkot. <laughs> and um, so we showed up there, and we just all show up and have our stuff and figure out where we're going to sleep, and you know, hopefully they feed us or we bring food. <laughs> But my friend, um, also a, a Jewish woman artist named Eliza Hava, had brought um, a, like a oh, 30 or 40-year-old, no, not 30, probably 40-year-old um, Japanese shaman with her. I know her from Rainbow. <laughs> she brought a, 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 a Japanese shaman to this. This is in Israel? No, this is in Maine. Oh, okay. So we, we drive <laughs> out confused. to Maine okay. from New York City, and um, and so... When we got there, they, the community, the the rabbi, like saw this guy and said, um, he can't be here. Like, you can't just bring like a 40, whatever, Jap- <laughs> Japanese shaman guy. And, and I was so outraged because the sparks, you know, the, mm. <laughs> the, the, the right thing. <laughs> this wow. is not it. And so I, um, I had a, a a spiritual breakdown and I I said, you know, we're leaving. And I said, can he drive? And because it was, Shavuos was starting, Sukkot, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, Something where you can't drive. I said, can he, dr- yeah. yeah, can he drive? Because she was Jewish. And he said, yeah. And I said, Let, let's go. Like, we so, have to leave. I can't be here. And I yeah. looked at my friends like, <laughs> anyone else? No. No one else was having a spiritual breakdown. So we left and I, you know, I sort of faced head on this, you know, values versus religion. Wow. And I wrote a song about it called Cast Out. I've never told anybody what that story, song is about, but that's what it's about. Wow. So... Do you mind uh, just describe what does it mean to have a spiritual breakdown? Well, like my, the there was a disconnect. I mean, you know, I, I thought what they were doing was so wrong. Mm-hmm. I thought this is not my Judaism. This is not my religion. I'm not spending my end of here. Wow. I'm not condoning this. I'm not endorsing this. Like it was just, to me, it was straight up racism. Wow. And they they said maybe there was some cr- local crimes, and that's why they were not able to you know trust him or accommodate him. But you know maybe there's some you know way that I could think about it and understand their perspective. But from my perspective, yeah. it was racism. Wow, that's really interesting. So so you're saying like kind of up until that point, you could have take like there were things that you were kind of taking almost by inertia. Yeah, and then yeah. That forced you to kind of face it, right? In that moment, yeah, it was like because uh, I chose to break because I chose to break Yantif, mm-hmm. you know, by getting in that car. Right. I remember, you know, like. But it's interesting you asked him to drive though. That's kind of yeah. <laughs> and I, I also remember something really funny, which was like, like climbing out the window because I didn't want the door light to turn on. Are <laughs> you serious? To go to a bathroom <laughs> at a at a you know, gas station. Oh my god. <laughs> Wow, that's that's so funny. No, because I was really because when you find God on acid, you are <laughs> in, you are in it. It's serious. Oh you know? my God! <laughs> wow, interesting. I hope I didn't break anyone's eardrums. Uh, that is so fascinating. So yeah, that's 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 the loneliness, right? I guess like that ability to kind of. I feel like that's 
obviously you don't have to be an artist to experience that, but I feel like artists are almost called to experience things like that um, yeah, I think in their communities. Yeah, artist is such a is such a amorphous right. kind of thing because so many activists are right. art artists and that's really interesting. Yeah, you, you know, just yeah, look at Steve Martin. He's like got a blue bluegrass band and he's a stand up comedian. Like you just have this energy. It's like, what do you do with it? Yeah, that's oh, that's a great way of putting it. I um, I recently have been trying to grapple with like this reality that I feel like. I'm living two different worlds, like where I have this creative side and I have this political side. And and, I'm, and one of the things I've been trying to figure out is where do they meet, you know, like, or do they meet and all these things. And like, I've been thinking, and stuff like what you're saying about activists and stuff, I've really felt that myself recently. Yeah. And, you but know. you write. You don't think your writing is political? <sighs> My... No, I'm saying that a lot of my writing is political, and then a lot of it is also, like, not political, but creative or whatever. And I'm sure I was kind of trying to figure out where they meet and or where they don't meet and yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, I do feel like, like I think they do meet, and I think there is something. But it's hard for me. Like I think because I'm so into verbalizing things, like I really want to know what where is it exactly that they meet, you know, and where what's my role in it because I'm. I'm always feeling like, oh, there's this tension and whatever. So how do we, how do we, you know, resolve that? And one of the things that that's been popping up a lot for me. Just sorry to go on a tangent a little bit, but no, um, is that this idea that um, creativity, by definition, require is like about lifting up voices, and it's about like allowing the more like the more creative an enterprise is, especially like a community. Like if, if the community is creative, it by definition wants a variety of voices and wants like everyone's voice to be lifted up, right? Like if you're, I think. Um, and that almost by definition is like a liberal. something like about a minion or something. What's that? The minion, like, mm. like the inclusivity. Interesting. Drawing everyone in and like there's certain, you know, like in Jewish law there's certain important things that you can only do with with a group of people yeah uh-huh yeah no that's interesting yeah for sure and like a variety of kinds of people yeah so it's like i think that that that's like almost like a liberal political position kind of in a way like saying diversity is important and giving everyone a voice is important Uh-oh. right no i'm just thinking yeah. i'm just thinking about like but yeah. I mean, I think that create like whenever you're like when you're really passionate about the activism mm. I, I, I think that I don't know, I think that it it, 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 it just changes you. I don't know. The I, I just think that the the activism changes you, like just like a, as an artist. Mm. everything you experience changes you. <laughs> so it's going right. to, it's going to be, I think it's just going to be like the barrier is just going to dissolve. Oh yeah. In places. Between ar- artists and activists. Um, or well, between... I mean, artists and activists need each other, right. but art of, artists can be activists. I mean, I guess there's a question of how much time do you have in the day? I find that I don't, I feel like I'm not a good activist. Because I can't, 
do all the things that I wish I could do for, you know, improving the world, but I can write a song. Mm. <laughs> and then I'm like, you guys have to listen to this song because it's the best I can do right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. I, I feel, I mean, I think a lot of artists feel like that, that are, that are into, you know, p- political can mean so many different things or being into activist. Like, I mean, w- artists that want to spread a message, I think a lot of times feel like, that's how they do it. That's their best vehicle for it, you know? Um, so I don't know. That's really interesting. But I'm a little, when you're talking about the, the, I was a little confused when you're talking about the, the, um, the community, the communal things versus sure. the, Oh, uh, versus, versus what? Like the loneliness part of it or. Yeah. Well, I guess I was trying to draw a distinction, but like try to explain. Well, what... you're doing both, like with Chavria, you're doing right. Both. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, I mean, I think that there's an aspect to creativity that's lonely, and then there's an aspect that's communal, right? I think they're they're both there, like because you're kind of you're withdrawing from your from your community so that you can comment on it, but then there's also among artists they need a community of the of lonely people in a sense, and then. And then beyond that, they 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 want to engage with their society. I think yeah. many artists, not all artists, but I think many artists do. Yeah, it sounds like something that I think about a lot. Different, but some similar that um, the intro internal versus external phases of creation, creating mm. art. Like, you know, sometimes I, I'm making a lot of stuff, and sometimes I'm not making anything, and they're both creative. They're both artistic because when I'm not making stuff, um, I'm making stuff inside. Yeah. Like I'm, tr- I'm, like wheels are turning, connect, connect. You know, things are happening. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So sort of sounds like, yeah. And then once you're in an external phase, you're like, hey, who wants to join? <laughs> I got <laughs> right. some stuff I've been putting together. I can't right. do it by myself. I can't do it by myself. Yeah, I think that's particularly true for musicians. Yeah. That's really interesting. But you, but and no one can do it by themselves because don't 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 they want to be. Yeah. Interacted with? Totally. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's interesting because the whole point of the loneliness, at least when Baldwin is talking about it, is that he's saying it like they're doing it for their society. It's because they care about their society that yeah. they're withdrawing. It's not that they're just withdrawing yeah. in order to just be lonely. It's more that they that allows them to engage with it in a unique, in their unique way. Yeah. I think, I've been thinking about, this sounds so like haughty, but I've been thinking about being a musician in this time as like, like being a priest, yeah. like, like being a, I don't know, like just doing something for some reason that like some people totally get and think is important and other people think is just a total waste of time <laughs> and you're not doing it for money. You're just doing it for devotion mm. and, and like you think you're helping <laughs> <laughs> you know, and <laughs> you hope, yeah, yeah, I mean, you think you're helping, I mean yeah. you you try, right, but I don't think that's arrogant at all, I think that's like very really, yeah, it's like it's almost a one to one comparison in a lot of ways, yeah, but I've had certain face downs with like devotees of like the Church of Capitalism on <laughs> say Twitter, uh-huh. where everyone's crazy. No offense, everyone on Twitter. Well, if you're there, that means we're, you're crazy too. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I own that. <laughs> but yeah, me too. Where yeah. they like made fun of me for being a musician, and I'm just like, 
What? They like I don't. In front of you for being for a magician. Be, like I don't add value to the world because I don't like oh. manage a hedge fund or whatever, <laughs> whatever I'm not doing that doesn't, you know, satisfy his idea of of adding value to the world. Um, now I know what you mean by the devotees of uh, capitalism. That's yeah. Yeah. So, but you're saying like you feel like you do. Well, I definitely don't. I don't. I don't think that he can perceive the value. I mean, I don't. I don't think that he can perceive it. I don't think that he necessarily understands. I'm not. Who cares about this guy? What he thinks? <laughs> but like, you know, there are times when I've looked back on the way that I've affected the economy of New York City by having shows. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, what happens on the really low level of of gigging is you just say, I'm going to b- bring a bunch of people to your bar, mm. you know, and they do or don't pay a cover. They hopefully buy drinks. You make, if they pay a cover, you might make some money. You don't really make money. Mm-hmm. You're mostly part of the bar's business plan. <laughs> wow. And then that affects like the local bodegas and, you know. Wow, that's really interesting. And so how much I've invested in my music, which has goals that are really esoteric and not, tangible i'm not like trying to make money meanwhile there's this actual practical thing happening in the world Mm. that devotees of the church of capitalism (laughs) want to you know throw their nose up at or whatever the expression is (laughs) (laughs) it's an artistic way of putting it (laughs) (laughs) um so you're saying like yeah that it's both that you're committed to like these intangible ideals but also that you do feel like it has an effect Tangibly. I mean, it's, I mean, we're here. We're, you know, if you, especially if you're trying to get your stuff out there, if you're pushing it, which is a whole job in and of itself, you're, you're changing the landscape in one way or another. Yeah. I, I always find that fascinating that people can't, can't perceive how art changes things because art it's changed so many things and affected so many. It was actually really interesting. And this isn't exactly about art, but um, at least media. I remember I went when I went to that interview last week for like HLN. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, me and my husband were like, yeah, he won. <laughs> I won. Thank <laughs> no you. No offense, Sally Khan. <laughs> Is that her name? Sarah Cohn. Th- Sally Cohn, I think. Yeah, or was she- it Sarah? Sally, I think. Okay. Yeah. No it's, offense. It's so funny because someone else said Sarah today. Um, but anyway, so I... It was really fascinating to me because it was, I'm so used to my little gig, uh, like operations, like when it comes to media, because I'm so into like using the scalability of the internet to like not spend that much money and do crazy amount of things, I think. Uh, it's really cool. Um, but it was interesting to be taken, so HLN is part of CNN. So we had to like go to this Time Warner building. And so you go into the Time Warner building and then you go up to this floor, I, like I'd never seen, like only from the outside, it's all like, you know, buildings and stuff, but to go into the guts of CNN and see how much is happening, like how in, it felt so, um, I don't know what the right word is, but it was like, if we're talking about capitalism, like, wow, in terms of the building itself, the experience of like being taken by like an assistant and, and you know, taken along like into all these rooms and into a green room just for like one guest for a a few minutes you know getting makeup put on and like just the whole experience to me was fascinating because I was like wow look at what media can can become and can do and um not that I would necessarily call it art of course but I think 
there it's in a way it there there's it's a lot of it's so analogous to to like well it's interesting because that ted turner started cnn right mm-hmm. and he's a visionary in what sense um he i in the sense that he i mean to start a 24-hour cable news network right. and just he just has his oh, own I see, like business-wise yeah yeah i mean like i i i have a I have a job where I make captions and I captioned him speaking with Charlie Rose captions for the hearing impaired, not like tags, but, um, and he, um, I just thought, well, you know, if we had our, um, media mogul or our on the left, I think it would have, Ted Turner would have been an option, you know, not like a good president, meaning instead of Donald Trump, if we oh, could have chosen, if we could have chosen our totally inappropriate president, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah, he would have been a good option. He would not have been a good option, but he would have been like analogous, mm-hmm. I think. Whereas, like you know, I would. He's like, I think he would be unpredictable and you know, irascible. I don't know, like a lot of things like Donald Trump, but he would, you know, he's against climate change. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, he has certain values and. You're saying so he's like. Also out of the box, like sort of thinker as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So you're saying is CNN art, you know? Right, right. I think to him it was. Right, that's interesting, and it's just amazing the, you know, the scale at which, like, obviously this this in this intangibility of what we do has an enormous effect on people. Like, it's just unbelievable, in a sense. I think, like, yeah. But I think when things get big, they start to get bad <laughs> well that's yeah that's a whole that's yeah. a whole discussion too no i'm not like a i'm not like a cnn truther don't <laughs> <laughs> no um yeah i hear you um what was i thinking about that i think also that that relates kind of to being religious as well because there's like you were saying as a like an artist you feel like a preacher like that you're you're dealing with intangibles right you're dealing with i think that's what i always thought was beautiful about the connection between art and religion yeah yeah, I actually had a a little mini revelation about Chabad in in um in the after Puerto Rico um when I just checked out the Chabad of Puerto Rico's Facebook page after the <laughs> hurricane and wow. I just got this sense like they're like they're working so hard and I just felt like hmm. In the wake of disaster, Chabad is like an obvious miracle. I mean, I don't know if that's a fair use of the word miracle, but you know, it's a, it's a, it's a revealed. It's like, it's like you see the Kiddush Hashem. It's mm. like, it's like, it's like there's just. But I feel like when there's not a, a national, it's it's like I feel like so much of Chabad is and and a lot of religious energy, not about Chabad, is like all is like is like. You know, growing all this positive energy and 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 light, and it just needs to get channeled into the right places. Mm. And I think that's what gets wrong with and with like giant media companies is that there's. I think that, no, oh, I think I'm I think I'm saying about to say something I don't want to say, so, um, I <laughs> won't say it. Maybe unless I can think of of a way to not worry that I'm t- being too controversial. You worried about being controversial on the Hebria podcast? <laughs> uh, no, Should, I guess I shouldn't be. Um, I guess just just the sense that it's just so beautiful to see how good um, 
see how miraculous and wonderful and healing Chabad can be. And I guess I just wish that 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 that, that there were a way that people could understand that when there's not a disaster, see, I did think of the nice way to say it, when there's not a disaster, that all that energy is going into saying Tehillim and like taking care of families and, mm. and, and, and saying Kaddish and like all of these, you know, things, these things that keep the community like fabric knit together and, and like, um, just all this work and, and, um, important work but so much of it to an atheist might just be like nothing interesting what part of that was controversial <laughs> that was no great. i i you found a way to put yeah it. but so so you're saying like that they're because like when things aren't disastrous people can't see how that same energy uh that was being used it's not revealed it's right. not revealed to the, to a materialist, maybe. Right. Like, to right. anyone that doesn't care about the spiritual ramifications of an Orthodox community, <laughs> you know, the spiritual yeah. health of an Orthodox community. Like, and, mm-hmm. and, but there's such a deep thing in there, which is, which yeah. is about how you need to, you know, worry about yourself first mm. and, like, make sure that, you know, you're, you're doing well so that you can spring into action and, yeah. It's interesting because I feel like it's similar with artists. Like, when I remember after nine eleven, like all of a sudden there was that telethon, like where they had like all these musicians doing incredible, like incredible music afterwards, um, and it like raised all this money and and all this stuff, and it was almost like people were looking specifically to musicians, like as people to help, kind of help them through something that was like. A, a national trauma, you know, um, where we were all kind of traumatized by it and trying to figure out how to emotionally cope with it. And all of a sudden, these artists that you might have thought of as, oh, just these whatever, doing what, you know, just pop artists, whatever, they became these, like, national healing hmm. uh, people, yeah. at least for that day, you know. Yeah, I, I was in a Hurricane um, Andrew when I was a kid in Miami, and Gloria Stefan... Um, she had a song that she wrote for it, and she's from Miami, and mm. it was just so like it was ours. It was wow. so, and to, to to this day, like I, I, you know, almost get chills thinking about that song because you know I went through that hurricane, and and the song was called "Coming Out of the Dark," you mm. know, and it just, yeah, just very meaningful. Wow, yeah, and we all know like we, whenever we've had a difficult experience, we have some song that we associate with it, or yeah. You know, I remember when I had a manic episode, I, even then, like the one thing that calmed me down and it took a while for people to figure it out was watching movies. Like I could watch, I watched Spirited Away. Oh, I love Spirited Away. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I watched it maybe like literally 50 times in a row, like something like that. When I had, I, I don't know if that's, does that make sense? I actually think it does. I think it's possible I watched it that much before I finally, like they, like I had to go to a hospital obviously, but like that kept me, my mind in a place that wasn't destructive, you know? Yeah. Um, it's just incredible. Like when we, in our biggest. That's beautiful. I wonder, I wish Miyazaki could hear that. <laughs> yeah. Is he that's alive? a good call. He is alive. Yeah. He's still doing movies, I think. Right? Yeah. I think so. Ponyo? Pon, pon, that was pon? a bunch of years ago, wasn't was it? Was it? Oh, you're right. I hope he is. But he's definitely alive. <laughs> 
Great. I think he's still doing movies. Awesome. <laughs> um, I just watched Spirit Away again. It was so good. Is uh, he on Twitter? No. Is he on Twitter? <laughs> I'll look. Uh, no one that makes that is on Twitter. God, he can't be that good. Hope but. not. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, anyway, I don't know. Is there anything? Oh, should we plug anything of yours before we um, go? Well, new album? Yeah, I have a new album. Um, might call it Daughter of Zion. Oh, cool. So is that, it's not out How's yet. that sound? What do you think? Love it. <laughs> Let me know, people <laughs> another... listening to the podcast, because I haven't released it yet. Um, yeah, so my album, I'm uh, about to go in the studio, and I'm um, really excited about that. Mm. And then I, I'm going to be participating in uh, an event called Religion on Trial. Hopefully, Eden will be part of it. Push, push. Cool. <laughs> um, Eden, which is going to be uh, at a shul. I think it's called... A Havas, uh, I don't know. It's Israel? a shul in Williamsburg. Yeah, I think so. In Williamsburg? Oh, no, it's in Crown Heights. No, it's going to, yeah. So a shul in Williamsburg. Mm-hmm. So keep an eye out for that. And um, I guess. And how can people find you? On- um, I'm on, if you just go to nehedar.com, N-E-H-E-D-A-R.com, uh, there's, there's links. Awesome. <laughs> and media. Easy peasy. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Amelia. Thank for you for having us. me. Yeah, it was great. Thank you for listening to Hivria Cast. I'm Aladna Harai. If you'd like to hear more and read more of our work, you can follow us by going to hivria.com or facebook.com slash mag. We've been recording at the Kalal Studios in New York City. And the music that you're hearing is Voice Lessons by Darshan. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing and hearing from you again.